All right. So we're in Matthew 5, verses 4. I'm sorry, Matthew 6, verses 14 through 15. We're going backward. I know I said last week after Chase finished um, the section on do not be anxious, I said, I think I'll finish the Sermon on the Mount next week. Um, well, not only am I not doing that, but I'm going backward to a text that we had already covered. Um, because I think this theme of forgiveness is so important. It is one of, it is one of the top three questions I get asked frequently by people is how do I forgive someone? I can't forgive them. Mm -hmm. And what Jesus says here is startling for us. Um, I didn't cover it before because I didn't have the energy and the capacity to handle it. So um, we're coming back to it now that I have that energy. Um, so let's read it. Matthew 5, 14, 6, excuse me. It says 5 up at the top, so I keep getting thrown off. Six fourteen. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. Forgiveness is a gift until it's required that we give it. And then all of a sudden we squirm and we're like, they don't deserve it. I don't want to give it. And we somehow fail to realize that it's not just a gift we receive, but it's Actually, gift that we get to give, get to, not have to. However, we read a passage like this, and whenever there's a condition put upon us, you must or else, that's what the verse says, um, we kind of get real rebellious and very fleshly and very fallen. And we're like, how dare you tell me what to do? And we hear this, um, what most people cannot look past is what Jesus is saying is, this is how you get saved. And if you don't do this, you're going to hell. And then we get incredibly anxious and concerned. Oh my gosh, have I properly forgive Sally? I have, I can't stand to see Paul. Like we have these thoughts and these feelings and we feel incredibly condemned that we haven't handled this well. Um, but on a realistic note too, that is realistic, but on a, I mean, an even more serious note is some of us know we really have a, we're not sure if we've reached forgiveness with a person. And when people ask me this, it's never just a theological night, like a, oh, I, uh, what are your thoughts on forgiveness? It's, it's more like they're genuinely concerned and want to know, have I forgiven this person? Because Jesus's words are very strong here. Um, not only here, but Jesus expands this thought. We'll be back in chapter six. You might want to hold your spot, but we're just going to go right a little bit to chapter 18 because Jesus expands his teaching on forgiveness quite extensively here. I only want to read a parable and then point out something specific. Um, it's not the time to go through this parable in detail, but Matthew 18 Verse 21, just to give you the context, Jesus says this more than once. It's not like you can just write off this part here in the Sermon on the Mount and say, well, maybe he didn't mean it. He's pretty clear later that he means it. So 18 verse 21, then Peter came up and said to Jesus, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 70 times seven 
Now, in Genesis 4, there was this really bad guy named Lamech, and he killed someone and said, God said if anybody takes vengeance on Cain, it'll be seven times revenge. If anyone takes vengeance on me, then let God get him 70 times seven. So Jesus is taking Lamech's words and saying, if anyone gets me, God will get them 70 times seven. He's just totally reversing it, saying, actually, our hearts should be, if anybody gets us, forgive them back 70 times seven. So it's a complete invert or reverse, I guess, of uh, Lamech's terrible sin in Genesis 4. And so then he gives a story to give an example. So verse 23, therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him his debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, by the way, if I um, remember what I read right, 100 denarii is 100 days wages, but the 10,000 talents is the annual income for a kingdom. It's like an incredibly different amount. So he finds his fellow servant who owes him 100 denarii, and seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. Verse 29, so his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me, and I will repay you. But he refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. Well, when his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. And they went and reported to the master, their master, all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant! I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. Then Jesus makes one thrusting application. So also... My heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Whoa, anxiety just like ratches it up, right? You're like, what? I don't want that to be my fate. And now we start thinking of the people that we fought with, the people that we've held something against, the people that maybe we, something happened and it never really got confronted. And we're like, how am I doing, Lord? <laughs> I'm really concerned. But then at the same time, you step back, don't you? You step back and you realize back in Matthew um, chapter 6, like, is he really saying that we have to do something to be forgiven? Is that not a work that earns salvation? It, it doesn't seem to match up with the rest of the Bible, right? And so we're kind of in this place, like, what are we supposed 
supposed to do? Does Jesus really mean what he says? That we're forgiven only when we forgive. Does he really mean that? Will God really refuse to forgive us if we refuse to forgive others? Is this the gospel with strings attached? Here, I want the gospel. Oh man, I got to do all this too? Like what? what is being presented here? I want to tell you guys, let's read Ephesians 5 and then I'll make my point actually. Uh, one more passage, if you go right to Ephesians 5, again, we'll, we'll still be in Matthew 6. But um, Ephesians, it's actually 4, it's right before chapter 5. That moment when you wish you bookmarked something. There you go. Ephesians 4, verse 32. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. As God in Christ forgave you. Okay, that doesn't seem very significant at the moment. But what we just read was, like Jesus said, we're forgiven, we therefore must forgive. Jesus makes it very clear that if we don't forgive, we will not be forgiven. Okay, God's forgiving, we should be forgiving. Ephesians says the same thing. God's forgiving, we must be forgiving. But notice, did you see it? Did you read it carefully? It says, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. He's telling us to forgive one another because we have been forgiven. It would seem, therefore, that Jesus is not saying God will not forgive you at all if you fail to forgive someone. Because Paul seems to say that we're called to forgive on the basis that we have been forgiven, not that we will be forgiven if we forgive. You see you see that? So Paul's seemingly making it clear, like, hey, chill down. You're forgiven, but you're expected to go forgive. Because there's really important ramifications in our choosing to follow through with forgiving those who wrong us. So that's what I want to show you guys is why must we forgive? Um, But to calm us down too, don't panic. This is not something Jesus said, jump through this hoop of flaming fire in order to get out of hell. Um, God loves us. He freely, it's his nature to forgive us. It's just not always our nature to obey him, but it is his nature to forgive. God is not giving us a condition because he just finds so much pleasure in saying, I only like to forgive those who don't answer the trap question incorrectly, the trick question. You know, when you've had those tests, there's a trick question. You almost feel like your, your teachers gloat and making you fall and stumble somewhere. That's not God. God's not like, I freely forgive. If only you don't trip up on this part. Because <laughs> I got to somehow limit those who receive my grace. No, it is God's nature to forgive. Look at Exodus 34, verse 6. He is flowing with this. This is his nature is to bring people to himself and to forgive them. So he's not trying to trick us. So we're going to look at what forgiveness is. Okay, we're going to look at how to forgive. Because there's really big consequences Um outside of hell, other consequences about not forgiving. So what is forgiveness? Uh, I bring this up because I think when we think of forgiveness, we often think of being let off of punishment. I am going to be busted because I threw the car toy off the ramp and it landed into my mother's glass collection. I did that as a kid. I am busted. 
And forgiveness is what kind of makes the punishment not happen to us. <laughs> Mom, please forgive me, right? That's often how we think of it. But that's not really how we should think of biblical forgiveness. Uh, the word forgiveness is afihamai. You don't have to remember that, but um, it's used th- throughout scripture. And it actually has a broad meaning. Um, it's used to refer to letting go. It's used to refer to not hindering. It's used to refer to giving something up. So let go. Don't hinder that keeping someone from something. Choosing to just give something up. I lay this down and I'm walking away from it. That, that's how this word forgiveness is used. The same word here in our text of Matthew 6, 14 and 15. So what you could say is if you put one word on the word forgive, I would say... Uh, to help us zoom in, it is, it's, not, um, it's not getting out of punishment. Forgiveness, rather, is release. Forgiveness is release. Something's been holding you. Something's heavy upon you. Something's hindering you. Remember, it means to not hinder. It's, it's to release. You want to go here, but something's holding you back. It's, it's to, it lets go. That's forgiveness. It's this release. So picture, picture um, a line of racers, of athletes, who are who are ready to go on the race, but the race hasn't begun. They're lined up, and there is all this energy and training just just waiting to be expelled out of them, but the, the starting line is holding them back. And then when, I don't know, do they still use a pistol to start a race now? I don't know, but that, that, fi- that it's fired, and, and then suddenly they're released. They're let go. Nothing hinders them. They can give everything in this race and they can move the way they're meant to move. Or maybe one more analogy, if this works better for you, is imagine the great force of water behind a dam. And when that dam is removed, that release, that power that comes through. This is what forgiveness does. When God forgives us, he releases us from our sin which has held us back, held us down. It's minimized us. It's dehumanized us. It's prevented us from living in the full power of the gospel and the life that God's given us. But then likewise, when we forgive others, you have a lot of power when someone injures you. You can choose to hold them in that debt or you can be their liberator. And when those who have injured others are forgiven by that person, Mm -hmm. there is a general recognition that there was an incredible release, a weight taken off, a freedom that resulted from hearing from their mouths, I forgive you. I'll tell you that from experience, how liberating it was to hear a human being I wrong tell me, I still love you and I still forgive you. We have so much power when someone wrongs us. The problem is, in our insane captivity to sin, we want to use that power to be God over that person. Not God as revealed through Jesus, but a God who wants to make them pay and suffer for what they did to us. Forgive is to release. So forgiveness is freedom. It releases us from debt. If you want a brief example, a little bit over to Matthew 9, you have the same thing. I think this story encapsulates this concept really well. Um, Matthew 9, we, we see the paralytic who's brought to Jesus. 
the four he can't move at all the four friends have to take him he's bedridden he's bound uh and then jesus remember when he's lord before jesus what does jesus tell them and tell him son your sins are forgiven you and there's a big commotion like how dare you say that blah, 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 whatever and you can imagine like the friends that did all the work of bringing him to jesus like we didn't bring him because he has a sin issue. We brought him because he has a walking issue. Um, but Jesus forgives him. And then in that climatic moment, he says, um, to show that I have power to forgive sins, I will also say, get up and walk. And he gets up and walks. And this is what forgiveness does to us is we are bound. We're hindered. We're held down. And when Jesus says, son, daughter, your sins are forgiven you we are suddenly no longer paralyzed in our sins. We are given the power to get up and walk. So forgiveness is freedom. It's liberation. It's release. Um, You also saw that when we looked at his parable in Matthew 18. What did he do to the one who was not willing to forgive? He threw him in prison. Please note, it's a bad theology to say that you go to hell because Jesus said nothing about being tormented in hell. He says that the man who was unwilling to forgive was thrown in captivity, prison. He's not released because he won't release others. That's what's going on with him. So forgiveness is freedom. It's a release from a debt, whether it's a sin or to a person or even, you know, we use the analogy of finances, which was in that parable. Um, so forgiveness frees us. That's a really important thing. So not only does God free us when he forgives us, but listen, forgiveness to another person frees you too. It doesn't just free them. It frees you. It takes a lot of energy to keep a prisoner chained up to you. Always having to watch them, drag them around, abuse them. All the, all of the energy of your life given to tormenting another human being is really sick. And it's, it kills us. It's a sin. Failing to forgive someone is a sin which kills us. It throws us. You are a prisoner to your prisoner. That's a really sad picture. Um, it's easy to overlook this, but here in Matthew 6, verse 14, we have the word for. For, if you forgive. He's connecting, in other words, this conditional clause to the prayer he taught us just above it. It's not just a commentary on verse 12, where he says, teaches us to pray, forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. So now he's like commenting on it. Well, all yeah, forgiving your debtors means this. He's doing more than just commenting on that. For, because otherwise he would have said for, if you forgive, he would have said it right after that prayer. But instead he keeps going to lead us, not into temptation, but deliver us. So, when Jesus says, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly father will also forgive you. He's saying this out of the whole prayer. Primarily starting in verse 11, because it shifts from um, praying for God's will to praying for his work in our lives in verse 11. Look what he says. Give us this day our daily bread, which we previously looked at should probably be translated heavenly bread or supernatural bread. Give us this day our heavenly bread. Forgive us our debts as we've forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, also can be translated trial, but deliver us from evil or from the evil one. 
So give us our heavenly bread. Forgive us and deliver us from the evil one. Okay, so if we want God's supernatural bread in our lives, if we want forgiveness for our debts, and if we want to be delivered from the evil one, Jesus shows us how to make that possible. If you want these things, then, or for, if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. In other words, here's how St. Maximus the Confessor from the 7th century, he had a whole book on the Lord's Prayer. Um, I consulted it this week, and it was tremendous. Um, He put it like this. It is God who by nature bestows these blessings, his supernatural bread, forgiveness, and deliverance from the evil one. It is God who by nature bestows these blessings. I love the, just the whole, his whole wording, by nature. This is what God is and what he does. He gives these to us. But, but don't miss this next part. It is God who by nature bestows these blessings, but it is the recipient's free will that safe guards them. So yeah, he's giving us as we ask heavenly bread, forgiveness of sins and deliverance from the evil one. But I can choose to let those go out of my life. I can give the devil victory again. I can squander my heavenly bread. How? That's what Jesus says. For if you forgive, you'll be forgiven. If you don't forgive, you will not be forgiven. You will not be delivered from the devil if you choose not to forgive. He's giving you what you need, these blessings, this grace, this energy, this power to walk his way. But if you choose to harbor things and hold people in your displeasure, then you're going to forfeit the things that God's doing in your life. This is what we mean by forgiveness is freedom, not just for the one forgiven, but for the one who has the power to forgive others. If we don't, we imprison ourselves by cutting ourselves off from the blessings and the grace that God is pouring upon us. We harm ourselves to our own ruin. So what Maximus the confessor goes on to say, do you know why he's called the confessor, by the way? I just like to help orient, like this is a real human being. (laughs) Um, A confessor was a Christian who, a martyrdom attempt was made on them, but was unsuccessful. So they're physically maimed for the gospel. In Maximus's case, his tongue was cut out. So he wrote prolific, was it his hand? Later his hand. Yeah, so because he didn't have his tongue, he wrote prolifically. And he's a lot of writings. And then they, because like, well, he's more dangerous without his tongue than he was with his tongue. So they cut his hand off after that. Um, that's, that's him though. Um, but so here's, here's how he put it. He said, the offended, he's talking about you if you don't want to forgive people. The offended, so somebody harms you, you're offended. The offended must not allow the memory of things that affect him to be stamped on his intellect. That's where you're brooding, you're keeping things, right? You, you're just letting what, that injury, that harm, it's, it lodges itself. And man, you're like developing your own PTSD. You're creating, you're creating this loop of this experience because you're letting it impress itself on you. 
So the offended must not allow the memory of things that affect him to be stamped on his intellect, lest he inwardly divides human nature by separating himself from some other man, although he himself is a man. What do you say? What? Yeah. Let me break that down. If you, if you let this impress itself upon you and you hold on to this, you're dividing yourself and you're divide because you're dividing yourself against another human. So he says, when we are not divided with other brothers and sisters, by dividing ourselves, we are all human and we all share one nature. By dividing ourselves from each other, you have actually divided the human nature within yourself. Why does that matter? Because of what he says next. Failing such a union of the human nature, failing such a union, our nature remains self-divided in its will and cannot receive God's gift of himself. So when I sever myself from others, I'm actually splitting my own nature in two. And now I cannot fully have communion with God because there's a whole half of me. I mean, he didn't give us percentages, but there's a whole part of me that's completely severed from the life of God. Our growth and our, 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 our sharing in his life and his presence and his grace, this is what he meant by God by nature gives, but we have the power to forfeit by our free will. Forgiveness frees us to be in the presence and likeness of God. So here's what we see Jesus is saying. This is what I would say and propose. And I unfortunately can't quote anyone because I don't feel like anyone was able to say it this clearly. Although I think Maximus was really basically saying it. He just, like an old guy, wrote lots of words to say very complex things. Um, But this is what I think we're seeing. So I'm going to read the verse again, but we're going to clarify. What Jesus is talking about, when he says God will not forgive you, he's not saying the punishment for your sin will not be forgiven. That's not what he's saying. He's saying rather the imprisonment of your sin will not be released. So if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly father will also forgive you. He, you will be released from sin because you're not living in sin. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, which means you are living in the will of the devil, which means you're sold under sin. So if you are not forgiving others their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. That's not saying he will send you to hell because you won't forgive him. It's saying you will not find release from sin because you've chosen to harbor sin. Does it make sense? This is not about punishment. This is not about your eternal destiny. This is about now. This is about imprisonment to the things that we are liberated from. Freedom is forgiveness. Not just forgiveness we receive, but the forgiveness we gift. To refuse to forgive is to refuse to be free. So with all that in mind, how do we forgive? How do we forgive people? Usually I get talked to about this because people realize they should forgive. They want to forgive. They want to please God. They don't like this, but they don't know how. They just can't get past what happened. Um, 
this is very complex and you know we can go into a whole series on this um i i don't think i'm qualified to go that deep into it but i will share with you things that i read up on things that i've contemplated over life in my own experiences i've been i've been publicly injured by people and um yeah there's a forgiveness process that has to happen how do you go through that? Like, I'm reflecting on myself. Like, what did I do? And I think sometimes we're concerned we haven't forgiven because there's lingering feelings and memories. And those are not necessarily evidence that you haven't forgiven. But we'll look at those, okay? So forgiveness is a gift. And it's one that we receive, but it's also one that we need to give. So how do you gift forgiveness to others? How do you gift it? Gift is an acronym for how we're going to remember this, okay? So G-I-F-T, this is how we gift forgiveness. The first, G, is that we go to God. We go to God first and foremost. You are injured and you want to do really mean things. You want to say really mean things. Or you want to be the coward and use the power that you have called social media and do really mean things. <laughs> yeah, you're right. We all, no matter how like how righteous we are, we always are tempted with thoughts. And these thoughts will come when we're injured. The first thing we must do is we must flee to God. We must go to God. We must give it to God. We go to him in prayer and we give it up. And we say, they deserve all this. And you can, you can talk like that in, in the heat of the moment because... You're human, you have feelings, and you got to battle these thoughts. The Psalms do this. David's like, crush your teeth, Lord. He may not have felt like that a year later, but he definitely did when he prayed. Um, You go to God, and you just, you give it to him. I want these things to happen, but I, I know that that's not how I should be feeling right now. I know it's not what I should do. God, you said vengeance is mine. Not mine, but you said it's yours. So have it. Because what we have to do immediately is we have to get rid of the thought, like I said earlier, the thought that, oh, I'm playing God here and I can make them pay by, I I can play God and make them pay for the way they hurt me. Because you can. But that is a psychotic Christian living. (laughs) So we go to them and release it. Let God deal with it. So G is go to God. I imagine their point of view. Imagine their point of view. This is sometimes called empathy. Um, It's where you put yourself in their place and you have to be realistic. Uh, You have to think through, why would they do this to me? At first, you're like, because they're jerks and they're evil and they're the incarnation of the devil. Like this, (laughs) like that's how you feel at first. But we have to put ourselves in their shoes and see the whole situation from that perspective wait a minute, maybe they weren't actually maliciously trying to hurt me. Maybe their behavior came across differently than they meant to. Maybe it wasn't malice, but it was a mistake. Maybe they were hurting by something I did. Maybe you go through these scenarios and you start to, you start to realize, wait a minute, I am defending myself too much. I've crawled into my ego and I must crawl out of it because you will never find healing and you'll never find relationship with jesus in your ego you will live in this hard shell and you'll keep on throwing hatred at this person so we have to imagine their point of view and step out of ourselves 
And then we begin to calm down. Wait, I really don't think they actually intended to hurt me the way that I experienced it. That can go a long way. It can, re- it can really release you from thinking I'm just a victim. Everyone's out to get. And to more like, man, yeah, it's unfortunate. I was involved in some bad series of events, but this person is not unlovable. So we go to God. We imagine their point of view, F, is feelings do not always follow forgiveness. Feelings do not always follow forgiveness. You're going to see this person and what is going, you've, I don't know if anyone's been there, but you'll see this person and you're going to, something's going to happen physically inside of you. You're going to tense up. You're going to feel anger. You're going to feel fear. Because what's happening is your brain is saying, that's not a safe person, and it's preparing you for what you had experienced previously. But this is, this is an innate reaction and feeling which is meant to give us defense. It does not mean that if you feel this, you have not forgiven them. It may take time for these feelings to subside as you regain trust with this person, or they regain your trust. Um, but this doesn't mean, so I think sometimes people can just, these feelings linger for even years, and they think that somehow they're condemned because I should be free of this. The worst, the worst saying is forgive and forget. If there's anything to forgive, you've been hurt enough that you can't actually forget it. Mm-hmm. It's not like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm, I'm going to read um, somebody. Uh, if you guys want more, of course, my notes will be available online after. Um, but uh What's his name? Where is he? Um, Everett Worthington wrote, um, I'm adapting this off of something he said. It's a completely different acronym, more complicated, more psychologically based. But um, his wife, wife or mother was murdered in a robbery in their house. And um, he developed this forgiveness thing. So he knows what he's talking about when he talks about this. And he described it like this. Having burned one's hand on a stove Getting near the stove again will trigger emotions of fear and sometimes anger. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The person holds no unforgiveness toward the stove, yet the emotional arousal can be keen. I thought that was a great analogy because, yeah, it's not that I haven't forgiven the stove. <laughs> it's just that, like, there's something connected there that's going to take time for me to relearn. I can trust stoves. I just... it was just a wacky one or whatever, you know, so whatever happened or I was dumb or who knows. But so that's uh, G go to God. I imagine their point of view F feelings do not always follow forgiveness. And then T time may be necessary to fully heal. So this is really related to the previous one, but it's a little bit different because we're emphasizing the fact that you may need to understand you're not going to heal overnight. We don't get physical injuries that are any significance that heal overnight. Uh, Many of us have scars in different places that tell stories about injuries. You see that scar. It's not like, well, I forgave that moment, so I forgot it. I mean, no, there's a mark there. Like, you're going to remember that. But my thought, like, the way I look at that now has changed over time. Because the injury's gone. The mark is there, but we've healed over time. But so emotional injuries are going to be the same. They're going to take time. It's going to leave a scar on the heart, but that scar will become strong one day. But it's going to be there for a while. So our same guy, um, Witherington, 
he he uses an analogy and he says, um, if you are to write the injury on your hand in permanent marker, then go and wash it off in the sink. It'll fade a little bit, but it's still going to be there. And it'll be there for some time. It's going to take a few more washings before that it comes completely off. That's like what forgiveness is, right? We're working through the process, but it's going to take time for that to completely erase. And that's okay. It doesn't mean you haven't forgiven. It's just that deep injuries take deep time. So go to God. Imagine their point of view. Feelings do not always follow forgiveness, and time may be necessary to fully heal. That's how we can gift. It's, it's, it's a little guidance into gifting forgiveness to others and having some confidence that, look, just because some things are still happening doesn't mean that I'm harboring bitterness or anger or hatred in my heart. Okay. So I want to close with um, some hope in that forgiveness is challenging. However, it can become second nature. It can become a virtue. Christ is forgiving by nature. If we are to share in his nature and to grow in his life, then that means in time, and maybe it'll be in a million years, because you will have that long, <laughs> but it means in time you will have the same nature of forgiveness. Um, and I think we can get very close in this life. We just have to watch how people address and how we respond. Um, so over time, forgiveness can become our nature. So here's what we want to do. And this is where I found um, both Maximus the Confessor and another friend we were reading in our home group, Frederica Matthews Green. I'm going to quote from both of them because they're saying the same thing, that what we need to do is to treasure our union with Christ. If we treasure our union with Christ above all else, then the essence of who we are is secure in him, and no mortal can injure that person. No one can injure you if you treasure your union with Christ. So here's how they put it. The first one is um, Maximus the Confessor. Um, he's talking about someone who is not concerned with anything in this world, which means you're not concerned with your status, with your possessions, with uh, your pride of like how people think of you. You're not concerned with these things. So someone who's not concerned with anything in this world can truly and freely forgive those who sin against him because, quote, no one can rob him of the good to which he aspires and by which and which by nature is unassailable. No one can rob him of the good to which he aspires. So he's given up this world and he is pressing into Christ. No one can rob him from that good to which he aspires and which by nature is unassailable. No one can assail Christ. No one can take Christ down. No one can take Tyler out of that. Only Tyler's will can take him out of Christ and follow sin. But nothing can pull him out. And so if, if, if that's where our union and our energy and our whole life, and our, we're going in that direction, we're treasuring this union in him, then, no, then nothing anyone can say to me can actually injure me. That's what Maximus is trying to boldly stay, state. I can't be injured because I am where I need to be and I am with whom I need to be with. And he's making me what I need to be. Let what other people say fly in the wind. Uh, and then finally, Frederica Matthews Green says it like this. Ultimately, 
no one can hurt us. We have nothing to lose because all our treasure is in Christ. So how can anyone be in debt to me if they can't take anything from me? All our treasure in Christ. When we are hurt by another, it is because we think that person has stolen some of our treasure. (laughs) Which you can see how absurd that thought is at the moment. The process of becoming healed and becoming able to offer forgiveness comes with the realization that our real treasure is elsewhere. It is secure where no one can hurt it. So will you allow God to free you from your captivity in sin by forgiving others? Will you allow God to free you with the freedom to be in union with him by forgiving others? Or are we going to refuse people forgiveness and hold ourselves captive, give ourselves to the work of the devil? I don't think you need to conclude that Jesus is going to send you to hell for that unless you, by all means, want to send your way to hell. He's going to let you, but... He's actually giving us a great gift to gift forgiveness to others. And we can find that the injuries that happen to us, though terrible and unbearable as they are, sometimes for a long time, actually become the vehicles which make us more enmeshed in the life of God than we would have been without them. Forgiveness is a gift for us, and for others. Lord Jesus Christ, our God, have mercy on us and save us for your good and you love mankind.